John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus Christ, and uh, he preached a message of repentance. But he also pointed people to Jesus. He said, there's somebody coming after me, and I'm not even worthy to stoop down and unlatch the thong of his sandal. When Jesus came one day, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Later on in John's ministry, Jesus began to get more and more followers. And some of John's followers had left following after John to follow Jesus. And somebody came to him and said, Look, your followers are going after Jesus. And he said, He must increase and I must decrease. You see, John had learned the secret of living a life that glorifies God. It was about Christ. It was about Him increasing. It was about His work. And John was secondary. You know, I'm convinced that God wants us to glorify Him with our lives. And that we need that. We need it. We're designed for worship for one thing. But also, we need it because as we glorify God with our lives... That God will come and he will dwell in the midst of his people. I think we saw that just in this time of worship that we just experienced. As God came down and he touched us. We're glorifying God and he comes down and he touches us. That's how it works. We glorify God and then he comes near to us. And I'm convinced that when he comes in a special way that things change. Um, Do you know God can do more in two minutes than we can do in 20 years? That's who he is. He can come down and completely change a situation. Paul was dealing with a church that needed a lot of change. (laughs) They had problems. They had problems with immorality. Uh, They had problems with covetousness. They had problems with idolatry. Um, There were some in the gathering who were unbelievers, but there were some who were Christians who were even being tempted into some of these things that they had come out of in their old life. And so uh, Paul is writing this scripture to confront sin, but also to encourage God's people to live a life that glorifies him. And in so doing, they would make a difference and they would be filled with God's power. So we need to glorify God with our obedience to Him and uh, with our worship and with our love for other people. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. The title of my message is Glorifying God with Our Lives. Verse 1 says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. He's speaking of the Israelites in the Old Testament. All passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things became examples for us, so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in a single day 23,000 people fell dead. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. Nor should we complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. 
Now these things happened to them as examples, and they were written as a warning to us, on whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I'm speaking to you as wise people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we give thanks for, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, and we who are many are one body, for all of us share that one bread. Look at the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in what is offered on the altar? What am I saying then? The food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say... What they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food offered to an idol, do not eat it, out of consideration for the one who told you and for conscience' sake. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanks, why am I slandered because of something I give thanks for? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Give no offense to the Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Glorifying God with our lives. How do we do that? Well, first of all, I want you to see that we need to seek genuine repentance. Seek genuine repentance. There were two generations of Israelites in the wilderness times. There was that first generation that came out under the Exodus, under Moses. And then there was a generation of children who were coming up. And that first generation rebelled against God over and over and over and over again. They grumbled against God. They committed sexual immorality over and over again. Uh, They were idolatrous even when Moses was up on the mountain receiving the law. They were worshiping the golden calf. And one of the scriptures is quoted here in chapter 10 from that, that time period. Uh, then they, even that second generation of Israelites sinned against God in some of those same ways. But that first generation would not believe God. And God told them, because you've refused to believe me, you're going to die in the wilderness. And for 40 years, they were having some three to five funerals a day while they waited for that first generation to pass. The second generation 
wasn't perfect either. They, they sinned uh, in, in a situation with idolatry and sexual immorality. And uh, Phineas uh, intervenes and, and stops the, the plague that had come against the people. But this problem of sin brought God's action and God's response. And so I mentioned you need to seek genuine repentance. That first generation, I think most of that first generation did not know Christ. Did not have a relationship with God um, that was genuine and from the heart. They had not repented of their sin. They were religious in that they participated in some of the things, but their heart was always in Egypt. They were always looking back. Matter of fact, they're sitting outside the promised land that God wanted to give them, and they said, let's form a committee to go back to Egypt. This was their heart. They needed a changed heart. Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, don't be amazed at this. You must be born again. I want to tell you something this morning. Not everybody who attends church is a believer in Jesus Christ. Not everyone who even calls themselves a Christian or a Baptist is a child of God. You need to make sure that you have genuinely repented of your sin. Um, I remember when I was uh, 10 years old, I'd, I had uh, gone forward at the request of someone else when I was younger and had kind of gone through the motions of making a decision and considered myself to be a Christian. And I remember I was, I was uh, at this video of this evangelist preaching after the evening service. The only time I ever remember in all the years that I was at that church that we did that, but we did it that night. And this evangelist preached a message called Religion Versus Repentance. And he, he was describing all the things people do in religion. And he said, but unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And the Spirit of God took that message and lasered it into my soul. And he, he showed me that I was lost. That I had never repented of my sin and put my trust in Jesus Christ. And I began a wrestling period of about a year. And then I surrendered to Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. I found out what it means to know Jesus Christ. Something changed. Something happened. You remember that old song, uh, He Touched Me? He touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. That was big back then. That tells you what my age is, doesn't it? Something wonderful happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Genuine repentance. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Paul was preaching to the Corinthians, and he said, some of you aren't saved. You need genuine repentance. He even emphasizes this. He says, all came out under Moses. All went through the Red Sea. All participated in, in these great blessings of God and manna from heaven and water from a rock. They were touched by God, but they did not know God. Genuine repentance. Make sure you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Make sure you repent of your sin to repent is to make a decision to turn from your own, your sin in your own way to follow jesus christ and be obedient to him it is a choice that we make and it's a choice of faith that we make to follow after our lord and savior jesus christ seek genuine repentance um, sometimes people doubt their salvation 
There's two reasons people doubt their salvation. And by the way, let me just say, first of all, before I talk about that, it is a good thing to examine yourself. The scripture actually tells us that. Examine yourself to see if you be of the faith. Um, But there are two reasons people doubt their salvation. One is, um, maybe three. One is the enemy's whispering in their ear. Did you know a genuine child of God can be can have the enemy whisper in their ear, why do you think you're a Christian? You're not saved, you know. And, and, and he whispers in their ear and causes them to doubt. Sometimes you just need to bind the enemy if that's going on. Um, secondly, some people have personalities that tend to worry. Some of you have personalities that tend to worry. Some of you worry when you don't have something to worry about. If you've got that kind of personality, a lot of times people like that will doubt your salvation. Why? It's just they're, they're wired that way. They doubt everything. They worry about everything. You need to believe the promise of God if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've co- confessed Jesus as your Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised you from the dead, you will be saved. It's a promise of God. You need to just rest upon it. And by the way, you can also bring up the promise of God to the devil. But there's a third group of people that doubt their salvation, and that's those who don't know Christ. And if that's you, I would rather surrender to Christ and make sure than to go on and to miss heaven. Uh, The Bible says that we must take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. So you're supposed to repent anyway every day if you're a child of God. Amen? Take up your cross daily. Surrender daily. Adrian Rogers used to say in his prayer, every day in my prayer I say, Private Adrian reporting for duty. Surrender. So, seek genuine repentance. That's the first way to glorify God with your life. Nothing honors God like repentance and faith in His Son. Secondly, pursue holy living. How do you glorify God with your life? Seek genuine repentance, pursue holy living. In verse 6, he said, Now these things became examples for us, so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Now, some of these people were saved. You know how I know that? Because the second generation went in. They trusted God. They went into the promised land. But there was an incident. You remember Balaam? You remember the guy that his donkey was talking back to him? Balaam, after trying to curse the Israelites so he could get paid three times, God turned him into a blessing. And so he blessed them instead of cursing them. He told Balak, finally, he said, look, if you really want to get these Israelites, I'll tell you how to do it. Send some people in there to entice them into sexual immorality and idolatry. And God will come against them. Sure enough, that's what they did. And uh, some of the men were involved with these Moabite women and, and they were worshiping these false gods and God uh, sent uh, a plague among them. And these were believers. Now, you say, well, we're New Covenant. That's Old Covenant, Pastor. We're New Covenant. Don't you know? We don't have to worry about all that stuff. 
Well, it is true, in, on the one hand, that we don't have to worry about the wrath of God for our sin or the justice of God that we deserve. That is true. That's been carried out upon Christ. You're not going to get what you deserve. Praise the Lord and hallelujah twice. However, it's also true that God disciplines those he loves. And it's also true that God is the judge of the whole earth. You remember Moses? Moses was, I mean, Abraham. Abraham was praying to God about Sodom. And, you know, if there are 50 righteous, 40, 30, 20, 10, you know, if there's just 10 righteous people, Lord, will you spare the city? And, but he says at the beginning of that, he says, Lord, will not the judge of the whole earth do right? What's he saying? He's saying, Abraham, Abraham is saying, look, God, I know that you are responsible over the whole earth. I know that you are the one who is responsible to do what is right in the world and to judge. And so I know that you'll do the right thing. And that's why I'm praying to you because I believe you will respond to me as I pray. What is Paul saying here in this chapter? I don't think he's saying that there's no difference between us and the Old Testament believers because there is a difference. We're under the new covenant. We're under a time of greater blessing. I don't think he's saying, as some, I've heard some people say, that he's talking about losing salvation here. I don't think that's true either. I think all he is saying here to the people is he's saying, look, if you continue in this flagrant sin against God, God will act. Let me quote you a scripture from Galatians. Galatians is the book of grace, right? And yet, at the end of Galatians, God God says, look, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. God will act. In Thessalonians, the Bible talks about sexual immorality, and he's speaking to these Christians, and he says, look, you need to understand God is the avengers. If you're you're, uh, having sexual immorality with people in the body of Christ, God is the avenger of of such things. You need to understand, God will act. Don't you see that in the Old Testament? You see it in the story of Judah. What does he do? He sells Joseph into slavery. Robs Jacob of his son, at least for a time. What happens to Judah's sons? Two of them die. God strikes them dead because they're wicked. And the third one uh, is... uh, He's so afraid that God's going to strike him dead again. He doesn't, well, I won't get into all that. But anyway, Judah sees the same things. And then you find out when Judah begins to intercede, he doesn't know he's talking to Joseph, but Joseph says, I want you to leave Benjamin here. And Judah begins to intercede for Benjamin. He says, look, he says, he says, the man's, my father's life is tied up in the lad. How can I go back to him without the young man with me? What has happened in Judah's life? He now understands the grief of a father who's lost his son. Which is a great type of of, uh, Christ's intercession before the father for us. But listen, God acts. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Churches having revival. People are selling property and bringing the money to give to the poor who had need in the church. And 
Ananias and Sapphira sell, but they keep part of it back for themselves and they lie about it and tell the people that they're giving everything. And Paul says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. I think it was Peter. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. They fell dead. Why? Because God acted. God going to give you what you deserve? No, praise God. Uh, is God holding your sin against you as far as you're going to heaven or you're not? No, you don't have to worry about that if you're a child of God. But God will act. Shall not the judge of the whole earth do right? You see, some in this Corinthian church were doing these, these unbelievable sins against their brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul says, do you really think God's not going to act? Sobering, isn't it? pursue holy living. Now, I want you to understand, God is not waiting for you to make a mistake so that he can pounce on you. I don't want you to get that idea. But just know this, if you are involved in some kind of flagrant, ongoing sin, God's going to act. That's that's the message of this this chapter. You need to pursue holy living. One reason you need to pursue holy living is, is not only about this flagrant sin, but you need to understand that When you have sin in your life and you take it lightly, you open yourself up to the attack of the enemy so that he can come in and wreak havoc in your life. I'm convinced that there's a lot of people who end up going down a path they never thought they'd go down because some sin that they thought was not that big a deal, they held on to. And the enemy came in and wreaked havoc. You think the enemy doesn't want to wreak havoc in your life? Remember what Jesus told Peter? Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Uh, pursue godly living. Make it a passion in your life. You know what God says? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. How do you do that? I want to tell you something. You and I can't do that in our own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, If you're here today and you're in sin, confess that sin to God. But ask God. Say, Lord, my heart is not pursuing after holy, righteous living. I don't put you first in my life, God. I don't serve you the way I should. I confess that to you, and I ask for you to fill me with your spirit. Let your Holy Spirit change my heart and live that life through me. That's how you you pursue this holy living in your life. Uh, That, By the way, you also repent with his help. So you can ask him for that help as well if if you're struggling in that department. So glorifying God with our lives, how do we do it? Seek genuine repentance. Secondly, pursue holy living. Thirdly, choose exclusive worship. Look at verse 14. Therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry. Now, you've got, you've got several things happening here. You've got a, a city that is idolatrous, and you've got people who've been saved out of that and who have grown in Christ, and they realize, hey, it's, these idols are not that big a deal. And uh, they really don't care if they buy food in a market that's offered to an idol. It's not a big deal. They're not asking questions. They're just buying some meat. 
and they're eating that meat there. It's, it's no big deal to them. Then you've got those in the body who are actually tempted to idolatry. They've come out of this lifestyle, and they're tempted to go back to it. And uh, some of them apparently had succumbed to that temptation. And they're actually worshiping in idol temples. And, and Paul says, look, you need to understand something. This is, this is dangerous business here. God wants exclusive worship. Look at what he says. Flip over um, to verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. He's talking about the Lord's Supper and how it's, as they worship together and celebrate the Lord's Supper, they're participating in the body of Christ. He says, you can't do that and then go worship at the idol temple and do the same thing. You can't worship and drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Verse 22, he says, or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? In other words, your idolatry sets you against God. And so, even though as a Christian, God is for us, when we do idolatry, it stirs up the jealousy of God. And isn't that a natural thing? Now, God's jealousy, by the way, I probably should say this, is different than our jealousy. (laughs) God's jealousy is holy and perfect and pure. And our jealousy is marred by sin. But God does get provoked to jealousy. Many times I do weddings and uh, I hear them share the vows with each other. Forsaking all others, keep thee only unto her or only unto him for as long as you both shall live. It's a vow you make before God, right? To be exclusive in that relationship. Most people want their, their spouse to be faithful to them. Isn't that the truth? Most, most of us want that. Um, there's, there's some out there who don't, but most of us desire that. Imagine if your spouse, like Hosea's wife, stepped out on you and committed adultery. How would that make you feel? You see, that's exactly what we do to God when we don't put him first in our lives. When we set him to the side and we don't worship him as the chief priority of our lives and serve him as the chief priority of our lives. What if I told my wife, honey, I'll talk to you once a month. We'll get together once a month. And by the way, don't ask for any money from me. I'm, I've got my own account. Uh, you're not getting a nickel of it. Uh, but I'll, I'll meet you once a month for an hour. Suppose I continued to do that. Do you think she would be happy with me? No. And justly so, right? I mean, I'm in a wedding. I, I, I'm in a, in a marriage relationship with her. I have committed myself to her. And it involves more than just a token. I'll give you an hour this month. You know, that's how exactly what some Christians do to God. They said, Lord, I'll spend time with you once a month for an hour. They come to church once a month. Some, some don't come that often. They come maybe Christmas and Easter, and some don't come at all. Uh, don't ask me to give money. I'm not going to do it. That's the way we treat God. I want to tell you something. That's idolatry. 
what that is. It says that other things are more important to you than God is. And other items that you can spend your money on are more important than God. I didn't intend to spend on money, speak on money, but it's the truth. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. Uh, what time do you spend with God? Are you faithful to the house of God? Are you faithful to spend daily time with God and personal devotions with Him? You need it. You need it for yourself. God can get by without us, but we can't get by without God. But God does want our love, and he wants our heart. He desires that. I mentioned uh, Judah interceding. The father's, my father's heart is tied up with the boy. Did you know God's heart is tied up in you? His heart is tied up in you. Uh, his emotions are tied up in you. He loves you that much. And when we neglect the Lord and we don't put him first in our lives and everything else comes before God, what we do is, in essence, we are worshiping other things and we're putting God second, third, maybe even last place in our lives. And it's idolatry and it provokes God's jealousy. Choose exclusive worship. You know, you can't do that in your own strength. You've got to have the Holy Spirit's help with that as well. If you're struggling in that area, ask God. Just first of all, confess it to God. Say, Lord, I don't love you the way I should. Lord, I'm not committed to you the way I should be. Would you change my heart? Uh, fill me with your spirit and love through me. Serve through me. Help me to do these things with a joyful heart. And then take those steps of obedience that God leads you to take in your life. Choose exclusive Worship. Glorifying God with our lives. How do you do it? Seek genuine repentance. Pursue holy living. Choose exclusive worship. And finally, practice selfless love. Practice selfless love. Look at verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. And so Paul is talking to them about considering others. In the church and those who are lost. And he says, look, if, so, if a lost person invites you over and has a meal and you want to go, go. Don't sweat it. Eat whatever's put before you. Don't ask whether it's been offered to an idol or not. Just eat it. It's food. But if they tell you this has been offered to an idol, he said, don't, don't eat it. Why? Because if it's a lost person, what are they doing? They're watching your life. Did you know, Christian, that people are watching your life? They are. Especially if, if you're vocal about your faith. Be careful what you say and what you do in the workplace. Don't use profanity. Don't tell dirty jokes. Uh, don't be involved in, in, in things that you'd be embarrassed to be involved in if Jesus were present. People are watching your life. Paul says, what am I doing? I, I will refuse to eat. Why? Because I need to set a good example for this lost person. And if they consider it to be worship, I'm not going to do it because it might keep them from coming to Christ. Have you ever heard this statement? Well, I'll never go back to such and such a church because of what they did. I, I'll live a better life than they do. You ever heard anybody say that? That's what he's talking about. Be sensitive to that. Also, be sensitive to other believers. 
He says, now listen, my conscience is my own. And, you know, I'm not bound to other people's consciences. That's bondage. But he says, look, uh, but if I see that this is going to violate or tempt this person to sin, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I love that person. What did Jesus do? He did what he wanted to do irregardless of, of us. I'm so glad he didn't. If I, if I was Jesus, I probably would have stayed in heaven, <laughs> right? This worship is pretty nice. No problems, no sin, no, no issues. No, Jesus chose to lay aside the blessings of heaven, the worship of angels, to come be a human being and suffer the griefs and the heartaches of this life and to lay his life down on the cross in our place. Why? Because he loved us. Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down freely. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He put us before himself. You see, that's what we're called to do. We're called to lay down our lives for the sake of the Lord first. But secondly, for the sake of others as God leads us. Um, to live a life of selfless love. One of the, the heroes of, of Baptist faith has been uh, Lottie Moon. Uh, I, understand, I understand that Lottie Moon, in, in her missions, and uh, she, she noticed all the people around her who were hungry. And so, in the interest of, of their needs, she's ministering to these people, but she's so burdened for them, she begins to give them her food. Gives the food away, gives the food away, gives the food away. Ultimately, she falls into bad health and dies because she's not getting enough nourishment herself. Now, I'm not suggesting you do that, okay? But what I am suggesting is that you have a heart of selfless love, that as the Lord leads you, none of us can meet every need, but as God leads you to be willing to lay down your life for the sake of others. That glorifies God when you put others before yourself. Um, Paul said this. You want to talk about being a passionate evangelist. Paul was a passionate evangelist. He said this, I would that I would be lost if I could win my brothers, the Jews, to faith in Christ. Talk about selfless in his heart. That was how strong his burden was. What is God's burden for lost people? What is God's burden for his church? I want to tell you, you see it at the cross. What is your burden for the church? What is your burden for the lost and mine? This, by the way, convicted me, just in case you're wondering, this week. I, but Listen, I think there's some times that we just need to pray. I had a friend who used to pray this prayer. Lord, help us see lost people like you see them. God, give us your burden. Give us your heart for the lost. Give us your heart. William Carey, the great, uh, they call him the father of modern missions. He, he was looking at, at a globe and a map, and, 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 and God filled him with such a great burden for the nations. He went to talk with his church leadership and the area leadership of the 
the churches in that area and said, I want to go to India and do mission work for the gospel. And they said, well, the Lord will save the heathen without you. He doesn't need you. How'd you like that for encouragement? But Kerry was so burdened that without a mission society to give him a salary, without any knowledge of what support he would receive, he left his native England and went to India and started his own farm to try to have at least have enough something to eat while he ministered. He, he experienced hardship in his family. His wife uh, couldn't handle the missionary lifestyle and uh, she, she lost her mind and had to be fed. They would feed her under the door because she'd gotten so out of control. Uh, he had, a, he had a, a thing full of the scriptures that he was translating in the books, books that he had acquired while he was there. And uh, a fire came and burned it all down. And he's, he's faced with this mission, but he didn't quit. You know why? Because he had the burden of God upon his heart. And a love for the people that wouldn't quit. And I want to tell you something. Because of William Carey, there are many people in India who know Christ today. And there's many people around the world who know Christ. Because people caught a vision of what God could do when we catch his burden and live with a selfless love. You want to glorify God with your life, pursue selfless love. How do you glorify God with your life? Seek genuine repentance, pursue holy living, choose exclusive worship, and practice selfless love. Are you glorifying God with your life? Christian, are you glorifying God with your life? Do you have God's burden in, your, in his heart? Uh, are you living a life that pursues after godliness? Are you making time for the things of God? If not, come to this altar. Say, Lord, forgive me for not doing the things that I need to do. Fill me with your spirit and live this life of love, selfless love through me. Live this life of genuine repentance on a daily basis through me, whatever it is. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, under the authority of God's word, I have to tell you that you are guilty before the Lord. The wrath of God is on you, according to John 3.36. That if you die without Christ, you will go to a literal hell. A place of darkness and burning and suffering forever. It's the truth. I tell my kids the truth when I want them to avoid something that's painful to them. I'm telling you the truth because it is the truth. You need to repent of your sin. Though God's wrath is upon you. God loves you. He wants to see you come to relationship with him. Choose today to turn from your sin, to surrender to Christ, and to receive the gift of eternal life. And the Bible says that though your sin be as scarlet, he'll wash you white as snow. He'll give you a home in heaven. He'll make you his child. He'll give you the hope of, of the blessings and the rewards of heaven and the blessing of fellowship with him in this life as you turn to him. And so I encourage you to do so. If you'd like to make that decision this morning, um, you need to understand that Christ died for your sin and rose again. 
and that your response is to repent of your sin and receive that salvation in simple trust. I'll lead you here at the front in a prayer of commitment as God leads you. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. And God, I pray that you will enable people to respond to you in the way that you desire this morning. Um, Give people the boldness and the courage to step out and uh, be a benefit to you this morning.